Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, we come now to another really important part of our service where we come and open up God's Word and allow Him to speak in truth into our hearts and lives. Uh, We're doing a summer series called The Parables of Jesus. The Parables of Jesus. So we're going to kick off today with our first one. It's from Matthew 18, so you can turn your Bibles there. But before we go, just let me ask you this question. Uh, Do you ever walk into a room with a group of people and begin to size them up? Maybe you've done that this morning when you've walked in here. Maybe if you're a lady, you might look at that girl over there and think, oh, she looks pretty trendy. I like what she's wearing. Or you might look at a guy on the other side of the room and think, he looks pretty cool with that new haircut. Do you do that? Maybe not necessarily looks, but do you maybe size up people when you come into a room? It's like we're profiling people to, when we see them, to see what sort of group or set they might fit in when that's happening. It's a bit like, are they my type of person or do they fit in with that group over there as we sort of size up people and profile people? What are we doing when we do that, when we actually look across a group of people and begin to maybe profile them or size them up? It's a bit like we're placing a value on them, isn't it? We're placing a value on them. Do I value them highly and I want to hang out with those people? Or perhaps do I see them a little bit smaller, less than me, and perhaps value them a little bit lower than what I think of myself? Do we do that when we come into a group and maybe begin to size people up? Well, Jesus today in this parable we're going to look at from Matthew 18 wants to teach us to value all people equally, equally. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to Matthew chapter 18 and we're going to read from verses 10 through to 14, the parable of the lost sheep. Starting in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come and gather this morning. Father, we thank you again for your word. We ask and pray that Holy Spirit, as we just begin to read and think and open up and speak about this parable and about much about Matthew chapter 18, we ask and pray, please open up our eyes and hearts and minds. Please change me, Lord. Please change me through your word, I ask, Holy Spirit. And please change all of us, we pray now, to value and love people all people equally. Uh, Lord, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, for January, we'll be looking through a number of parables that Jesus told us. And I guess the first question that might come to mind, well, what is a parable? What is a parable here? Uh, A parable is a story or it's a word picture 
that Jesus used to illustrate a point for teaching and helping to grow his disciples. Uh, Jesus spoke many parables or many stories or many illustrations using current day real life examples of contemporary culture. Uh, One of the parables that many of you may be familiar with is the one about the sower and the seed, where Jesus, again, used this very contemporary, uh, cultural, real-day, real-time illustration to actually illustrate a point. And Jesus' whole point in telling these parables or telling these stories or illustrations is to grow and mature us as his followers out of error and into truth, the truth of the gospel so that we can grow in him and experience uh, his joy and his fullness in our lives. Matthew chapter 18 where we just read just that little portion of scripture there is actually one block of teaching from Jesus himself and it's what Jesus deals with here is what it looks like to live in his kingdom is what he's teaching his disciples here in Matthew chapter 18. With Jesus as our king here's how it looks to live under his lordship. It's what Jesus is going through here in Matthew chapter 8. And if you look closely in that, there's actually two parables that Jesus tells here, even in this one block of teaching at this particular time. Again, highlighting the fact that Jesus used stories or parables to help illustrate points. Now, with all good Bible reading, context, context is critically important to help us fully understand what's happening here in Matthew chapter 18. Now, the context is... It's the circumstances, it's the background information that helps give us a clearer understanding of why Jesus is saying what he's saying, or why Jesus is teaching what he's teaching. Does it just spring out of nowhere, or is there some context, is there some background information here for why Jesus is now talking this way? Well, Matthew, who wrote this book, uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, gives us some really helpful context, background information here for this passage. Have a look in verse 1 for our text and it says this at that time so there's three really critical words at that time he's giving us some context the disciples came to Jesus saying who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven now we know from reading through the rest of the gospels that the disciples aren't asking a general knowledge question here to Jesus like Jesus could you just tell us who the greatest is in the kingdom of heaven they're not doing that The rest of the New Testament tells us these guys were actually jostling for power. They were looking for a position of greatness. They were here to stake their claim and to try and get pole position, as far as it were, as on Jesus' team. They were looking for the seats of honour and power in Jesus' kingdom. We want to be great, Jesus, in your kingdom and have a name for ourselves. That's the background context here in Matthew chapter 8. And they've got this rolling around in their minds as they approach Jesus with this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So that's where we find ourselves here at the start of Matthew 18. Now Jesus now speaks into this context to teach his disciples what true greatness looks like in his kingdom. And these disciples are in for a shock. Now our parable here that we get to in verses 10 and 14 is actually essentially linked to the first nine verses in this chapter. So we're going to use those verses to prepare us to actually understand what's happening in verses 10 to 14 of where the parable is. And here's our big idea as we go forward. We're going to think about this. Jesus calls us to walk in humility, loving and valuing all people equally, helping and serving them to grow in holiness. 
It's going to come out of this first 14 verses here in Matthew chapter 18. Okay, so the disciples open up with this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, how's Jesus going to respond? He responds with a live illustration, not so much a parable this time, but a live illustration, as Brian read for us there before. Jesus calls for a little boy to come and stand amongst his disciples, and then he says this to them in verse 3 when this little boy has stood there. Verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a bit of a shock. They already thought they were in. But Jesus said, no, unless you become a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, unless you turn, unless you change your attitude and become like children, you'll never enter my kingdom, Jesus says. The key thought here is to understand what does Jesus mean by becoming a little child? That's the illustration he's using here. What does Jesus mean when he says to become a little child? Well, in the context of greatness, because that is where we started this chapter off in verse 1, small children in Jesus' day had no chance of getting that title. They were never began to aspire to greatness as a child. Now, children were loved and cared for in Jesus' day, no question about that whatsoever, but there was no chance of them for, for aspiration to greatness. Children had no position. Children had no status as far as community was concerned back in Jesus' day. They had no rights. They had no claim to prominence in who they were as small children. That's how children were viewed in the culture of Jesus' day at that time. Children were just expected to be obedient to every word of their parents, to simply trust that their parents would provide for them everything they need until they could provide for themselves. They were expected to live out that proverb, children should be seen and not... Oh, you know that proverb as well, do you? There you go. That's what they were expected to do back then. In short, children had no name, no status and no position of power in Jesus' day. So Jesus is saying this, do you want to be great in my kingdom? Is that what you really want? Then be like a child, willing to have no name, no status, and no position of power. That's what you've got to be like if you want to be great in my kingdom. Now, actually, he comes up and it says this in verse 4, and he says it like this in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be great? Then come humbly before me. Trust in who I am and gladly submit yourself to my ways, Jesus is saying. Be like this child. No status, no name, no position of power. Now the world says the way to greatness is to make a name for yourself. That's the way to greatness. You've got to build your own name. The world says work hard. Work really hard and then sell yourself as the next best thing if you want to become great in any particular way. But Jesus says, no, greatness is walking humbly before our God, acknowledging all that I have, whatever ability or talent or gift it is, it comes from him. It's not about me, it's about him. The gospel isn't about making a name for myself, The gospel's all about making Jesus' name great, 
Become like a child. No position, no name, no status. That is the path to greatness in God's kingdom. Now let's not forget about here that Jesus is talking about living in his kingdom when he does this um, live illustration of the child. So this humility that he's calling us to now must lead to bringing honour and glory for him. This humility also must lead us to help us uh, sorry, help others to grow in Jesus as well at the same time. And this is precisely where Jesus takes his disciples next as he moves into the next few verses. We see in verses 5 and 6 there, Jesus talks about causing children, or these little ones here, to sin is a massive offence towards God. And, if you, and you're bringing disaster to these lines. If you do that, if you're tempting these little ones to sin. And then in verses 7 to 9, Jesus goes on talking about here the drastic consequences or being drastic towards sinful temptations. That one gets pretty horrific there. It's talking about cutting off hands and things like that. Now, Jesus is not saying literally do that, but he's just saying be very serious about sin. Now, there's a whole other sermon which we're not going to go into today, but there's somewhere where Jesus is going in these few verses talking about leading us away from sin and into a holy living that pleases God. But I just want us to see one little thing here before we move on, which is really important for us. Have a look in verse 5 there. Jesus mentions the word child. He says in verse 5, Whoever causes one such child in my name... in Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But look in now verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fast around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Something we need to see there, Jesus changes from the word child to the word little ones. Now you might say, Todd, are you just being pedantic? Isn't it the same context, child as little ones? It's really important. It's really, really important we actually see what's happening here because this actually helps to set up our parable. The commentators all seem to agree that the little ones taken here possibly is children, probably is children, but also would be just as well to be insignificant people or people of little position in life, people of low stature in life according to the world's standards. Not just children, but people who see themselves as small or little in maybe social standings according to the world's standards. And that's really important to see as we now begin to move into uh, where Jesus is going. Bear that in mind... The thought there of children or people of little uh, consequence in this world and the world standards. Jesus here is saying this. Don't lead these people, these little ones, astray into sinful choices and sinful living. Don't do that. That would be terrible if you did that. So if we understand what he's saying there, he's equally saying this. So if it's not into sinful living, you don't want us, Jesus, to lead them into sinful temptation, which you just made really clear there to us. We can easily take that to be that Jesus wants us to encourage them to grow in holiness, holy living, living that pleases God. Jesus wants us through humility to help these little ones to grow in gospel transformation and holiness, not to lead them into sinful temptation, but to help them grow in holiness. Here's the picture that I see that with this passage. There are mature believers, because Jesus is talking about his kingdom of people here. There's mature believers, and there are children or little ones 
These are people who see themselves with little status or little social standing in the world standards. There's that happening there. And Jesus is saying to the mature believers, strive to help and love and serve these little ones. These ones who feel small, who feel like they're struggling, who feel like they're just not cutting it in the world as such by the world standards. Jesus is saying, come alongside them to help them grow and mature in the gospel and into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come on, don't lead them into sinful temptation, lead them into holy, godly living. Because if you think about it here, if we think about humility where Jesus started this passage, humility isn't centred on ourselves. Humility is actually looking out for others ahead of ourselves. So at this particular time, humility would say, at any cost, at any cost, how can I help you grow? How can I help you grow in Jesus? What can I do to love and see you grow in holiness? Particularly those who may feel small or little in these world standings by the way the world views them. What can I do to help you grow? What can I do to help build you up in this particular way? So it's humility and it's leading to holiness. So this platform now of humble Christ-centred living, leading them to holiness, sees us valuing all people equally. Not sizing them up and fitting them over there and fitting them over here, seeing them all equally. And this also leads us into the parable where Jesus begins to connect all these things together with this solid foundation that he's built for us. Now, the start of verse 10 uh, sets us up for the parable. Have a look what it says there in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. So here's Jesus connecting again all this together. He's referring again to little ones. He's saying though now, don't despise them. These ones, the little ones, maybe the world sees them of little account no real status or no position or no influence that could ever aspire to greatness. The people who feel small in this world by the world's standards, they're a follower of Jesus and they're in the church because he is talking about his kingdom, people in his kingdom, but maybe they don't fit the mould like the world says they should fit the mould and maybe that makes them still feel small, like a little one. What's Jesus saying there? Don't look down upon them with disrespect and devalue them. They're already feeling that perhaps from the world in many respects. You see, if we were to do that, if we were to look down and disrespect or despise them, that isn't coming from a humble gospel heart that Jesus is already talking about here at the start of Matthew chapter 18. It's actually coming from a heart that's still striving after greatness. It's happy to put others down to elevate myself. Jesus has already laid the groundwork here. No, it's humility. It's humility, not disrespecting or despising or devaluing. Jesus is saying here, my kingdom is about loving and valuing all people equally, with no regard to wherever somebody may be in life. Look at how Jesus says that now. It shows us that in verse 10. Verse 10 again. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. A really important word in those two verses is the word for. Just three letters, but really important. If you want to read your Bible well, you've actually got to read these little words and put them in the right spot. 
that word for links the two sentences together that Jesus has just spoken. Don't despise these little ones. Why not, Jesus? For, don't despise these little ones, Jesus. Why not, Jesus? For, for their angels in heaven stand before my Father's throne. The value and the importance I place on them are shown by what? By their angels that represent them in heaven. There's probably another sermon there about angels as well, but we're not going to go with that today. But Jesus is saying there, don't despise these little ones, for their angels in heaven stand before my Father's throne. So who are you to look down upon others and potentially devalue them or disrespect them or even despise them what I value? I value them because they have angels that stand before the Father in heaven. So who are you to think that you can devalue them for those who I've put value onto? Now Jesus follows this on and he moves us into the parable now about the lost sheep. And he takes a similar mindset into this parable about valuing all people equally. Here's our parable, a shepherd has a hundred sheep. I love the way Jesus gives us a nice whole number to work with. Not some difficult number there, a nice whole number. A hundred sheep. Ninety-nine of the sheep are with the shepherd. But one of them has left the flock and gone off on its own. Let's think about what Jesus is saying here. Let's take it, and I believe this is what Jesus is saying, the whole flock are the people of Jesus. Again, he's talking about his kingdom here in Matthew chapter 18. The whole flock are the people of Jesus. The shepherd is Jesus. He's the shepherd in this parable. The 99 are disciples of Jesus who are staying very close to him because they're still with the shepherd. They're staying close to the shepherd here. One sheep though, one sheep has gone astray. One sheep has left the flock, maybe purposefully or maybe they've lost their way in life. But one sheep here has left the flock and gone their own way. Now we have to understand a little bit here about Middle Eastern shepherds of Jesus' day because again he's telling a culturally relevant story or illustration for the day. They know every sheep by name. They know every sheep by name. They are cared for and they are uh, looked after courageously. When the sheep are out in pasture, uh, outside of the fold, away from the village, out in the mountains, the shepherds sleep with the sheep to protect the sheep. They are with their sheep all the time to look after them. So they know exactly and immediately when a sheep is gone. Because they know every sheep by name. They know every sheep by the spots on its back, by the maybe the diff- different ears they might have. They know exactly when a sheep's gone immediately. So here is Jesus' point as he says this. The shepherd goes out and looks for the sheep regardless of which one it is. He goes out immediately and there's that one sheep that's missing. The shepherd goes out and finds that sheep. Have a look what Jesus says here in verse 14 to show us that. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the picture here where God values us all equally in his kingdom as we think about this one sheep that's gone. Because Jesus doesn't say this. It's only that person over there. We can do without him or her. In fact, I think we'd be better off without that person in the flock. They're only one of the little ones. 
They don't really add anything to us. It's no great loss. And anyway, we've still got 99. Jesus doesn't say that there, does he? That's how we might think sometimes. But Jesus is not saying that. No, Jesus, like that shepherd, goes out and searches high and low until he finds that one. Until he finds the one that's gone astray. Jesus seeks out that one who's been influenced perhaps by the world and grown cold in their faith. They've allowed themselves to be cut off from the church community. They've allowed themselves to stray off the path. We don't devalue them and just let them go, what Jesus is saying. No, we go out and we look for that one because we value them all the same. We love them all the same. We seek to actually see them all come in to the flock, to the fold. Jesus values all people equal in his kingdom, not despising them and not looking down upon them. Jesus goes out for the one and he calls us to do the same thing. See, this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples here today in Matthew chapter 18. They're clamouring for greatness. They're trying to climb that ladder of success. They're trying to put themselves at the top of the tree and they'll do whatever it takes to be at the top of the heap. Even if it means allowing some people to be tempted to sin along the way. They might do that, enabling themselves to get to the top. And they might even let a few sheep wander off in the way, providing these guys can get to the top of the heap. Because there's too much effort to go and find them. I might lose some time in trying to build my own greatness. Because we're just looking for position and power. But Jesus says, no, that's not how you live in my kingdom. That's not what the gospel is all about. Jesus died to rescue and to save us from this pride of seeking our own greatness. Jesus rescued us so we could honour and glorify him by rescuing others. Look at this really beautiful description of Jesus here in Philippians chapter 2. It says this starting in verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Ouch. It sort of stabs you a bit when you say that, doesn't it? Count others of more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ humbled himself to rescue us from our brokenness. And in that grace that he now shows to us, he now sets us free, not looking to build our own identity, but finding our identity in him, set free from all the clamouring to greatness in this world because we're now found in him, to go and humbly serve others and to see them grow in grace, to know Christ and grow deeper in him. It's not about us looking great. It's about Jesus looking great, for he is the truly and only great one. 
We just get to share that experience with him as he brings us into his kingdom. It's now about humbly helping and loving all others equally, Jesus is teaching the disciples. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what is in their past, it makes no difference to Jesus. It is now to help them know and grow in holy living, to be found in Christ. Now that is what we strive to do here at Exchange Church. We are striving to do that every week. We are seeking at all times to help people grow in the gospel, building them up in God's word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are striving to be a community of people drawing alongside alongside each other, regardless of who we are or what we've done, drawing alongside each other to grow in grace, to strengthen, to be strengthened in grace. How do we do that? Well, here at Exchange, we encourage people to have gospel-hearted friendships. Gospel-hearted friendships. That is, one person getting together with one other person, discussing life and allowing Jesus to transform us through those relationships, through that discussion, through the truth of the gospel. You may find that person, or maybe persons, it could be a group of three or maybe four, that you can share your life with, that you can share some of your past with, you can share some of your struggles with, you can share some of the baggage that you have, and we've all got baggage. And then allowing the truth of Christ or the gospel to come in and to shape us and to reform us and to heal us so that our thinking can be changed so we become more like Christ. In these communities of one-to-one or one-to-two or one-with-three, this requires openness and honesty and trust. But what is that? That is humble kingdom living that Jesus is talking about. Understanding I don't need to impress anybody here I don't need to impress anybody in this group. I'm not trying to aspire to greatness amongst this group. I can just come humbly as a broken vessel, like we all are broken vessels, so we can actually experience the gospel working in our lives. Understanding that we are all a work in progress. And it's okay to be honest about life. That's where I find healing. This one-to-one is a great way to build humble, strong, solid community. I would encourage you, you might find somebody here in this group that you can do that with. And if you wanted to do a Bible study together, we would encourage you, we would give you some resources. You come and see us and we'll give you some stuff to do some one-to-one Bible studies with as well that will grow in relationship, that will grow in the gospel. It's also in this one-to-one we can reach out for those who have strayed from the flock or the church as well. We actually can discover people who haven't been around for a while or maybe we just know something's gone wrong in their life. We can reach out to them and be the hands and feet of Jesus to draw them back in to the fold, to draw them back into the community of believers. That's one aspect. Another aspect of a gospel ministry that is humble context for building community is our connect and grow groups. It's a really important ministry here of exchange. These are our midweek groups that meet as smaller communities, not maybe 100 or so that we have this morning, but maybe more like 10 or 12. When we put together our 2025 vision plan, we saw that these connect and grow groups are a really strategic place for us to grow a strong, healthy gospel community of people, able to weather the storms of life as we do it together in community. It's a context for anybody and everybody to connect in these humble communities. It's a place to grow. It's a place to build strong, healthy, humble, gospel relationships in a smaller community. As I said, about 10 or 12. Something a bit more comfortable, something a bit more where you can actually connect with each other in a deeper way. It's a place for the lost and straying people to be loved back into the fellowship again through these smaller communities. 
again, it's not a community seeking personal greatness. It's a context where we come together and we do life together and we share the struggles we go through. And what we find there is Jesus communicates his strength and his grace into our lives through these communities. We'll be kicking them off again in uh, February, at the start of um, February, a few weeks time, nearly said next year, that was next month, I can say. Uh, See Rob, he leads our Connection Grow Groups and we have got some more groups we'd love to start. We want to see everybody in exchange part of a Connection Grow Group because there's great community to be found there and there's strength in the gospel. But let me say this, that sort of community takes effort to create. This doesn't happen of its own accord. Turning up to Connection Grow isn't something that just magically happens. You don't sort of find yourself in a car and on autopilot and you just wind up at somebody's house. It doesn't happen on its own. Your week and my week needs to be prioritised around what's important for our gospel growth. It may be one-to-ones, but it may also be connect and grow. It needs to be prioritised around that. See, if you prioritise your week around work or sport or other social occasions by sort of giving them first preference in what you want to do each week, if you make them the number one things, well, have a guess what? Probably community to grow in spiritual health and gospel wisdom won't happen because you haven't prioritised it. You've, you've seen other things as more important and you've placed your value on that. What happens then is you tell yourself, I'm just too busy. I'm just too tired. I can't make it this week, but maybe next week. Well, next week the same thing happens again. And the week after that the same thing happens again. But if you turn that around the other way and you prioritise the week around being in gospel-focused relational communities and then you can see what fits in around and after that, you can still do work and social and sport, but your gospel growth comes first. If you do that, if you make that your priority, well, there's a big-time payoff coming, a really big-time payoff coming. In community, you'll grow, you'll be strong. You'll help others to grow and be strong as well as you share life together. This is the kingdom living that Jesus calls us into. We're not striving for greatness here for ourselves. Again, Jesus is the only great one. It's only by his grace that we are called into his kingdom. Jesus now sets us free, just as he said in these disciples free here, to live humble, servant-hearted lives. We're not striving to be celebrities We're being servants. Not celebrities, servants. Humbling, helping others to build and grow a community, striving to grow in holiness. Not leading people into sinful temptation, but leading to grow deeper in Christ. We're not looking down upon other people who may require a bit extra effort, because we all know we're a work in progress. We don't let the, the lost sheep wander off and leave them to their own devices. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Just as Jesus has loved us and valued us and reached out to us and rescued us, so too do we work with him to reproduce that in other people's lives. That's where Jesus is taking his disciples today through Matthew 18 with the parable of the lost sheep. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we get this privilege to open up your word. God, what a blessing. What a blessing to see the way, Jesus, you just faithfully proclaimed the truth. 
but the disciples clamoring after greatness. Lord, you bring them back down to earth again and put them in the right perspective. It's about humility. Humility, Lord, loving and serving and valuing all others equally. Desiring to lead them, to help grow them, Lord, I pray, in the gospel. And then, Lord, you cap it off with that brilliant parable. Valuing all of us equally. Not neglecting the one, not forgetting about the one, but going out for the one and bringing that one back in. God, I pray today, please let us be changed by that. Please let us implement something this week, Lord, where we seek to grow that community, where we might even bring somebody across our mind right now, Lord, we haven't seen for a while here at Exchange. Maybe we know they're going through a struggle. Maybe we've just thought we're too busy to connect with that person. Prompt our hearts right now with a name, I pray, Jesus. Holy Spirit, bring a name across our mind and help us today to connect with that one and to reach out, Lord, and to love them with the love of Christ, I pray. Lord, today we ask, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.